0: Welcome to the Triage Method podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Paddy, how are you this beautiful week?
1: Um, Positively fantastic, Gary. The sun is shining. It's beautiful weather these days, or at least it has been up until now. The gyms are also opening. Well, by the time people listen to this, the gyms will be open in the mighty Republic of Ireland. And they have been open for quite some time now in Northern Ireland in the six counties. Um, And obviously they've been open for an even fucking longer time in the United Kingdom well not all the United Kingdom Britain we'll say um which is obviously you know just a, a hop and a skip across the road from us so yeah you know. um <clears throat> so yeah I'm uh excited to see everyone get back into the gym get training can't wait till everyone fucking injures themselves well I can wait for that but I just know what's going to happen and we're going to get six million messages going like oh well I, I went into the gym and uh I just wanted to see where my strength was at. So I uh, loaded up the bar with uh, what I thought was my one rep max. Well, I never tested it before, but I, I think I was roughly in around there before I uh, the lockdown. So I t- tried that out and uh, actually my spine busted through my back. So uh, yeah. Um, what what can I do? You know, like wow, that's what's going to really? happen. That's literally, I'd say about 30 to 50% of the people going to the gym are going to get injured within the first three to four weeks and i say this from experience because the last opening of the lockdown even though i literally warned against this i also got injured (laughs) so i'm not i'm not saying this is like a oh i'm a holier than thou person like my spine did literally fucking burst out my back so
0: (laughs) not literally just by the
1: way oh it was it was literal Well, Gary, how are you? Now that the gyms are opening, are you going to stop working out in your fucking pain cave? Are you going to frequent a gym or are you going to stay in the pain cave?
0: I was thinking what I might do is like a, a, like a Sunday morning pump session or something where I go into Fly Fit in town and just do like 2 hours of training on like machines, cables, etc. Basically all of the just stuff on arms. I can- yeah just arms basically so all the stuff can't do during the week and then the rest of the week just stay here so i'm not sure uh flight fit isn't too expensive i think it's like 25 or 30 a month which is very reasonable to be fair so even if i went once a week it's like ah, that's reasonable enough you know um so might do something like that but other than that i'm going to be you know continuing to train here um jiu-jitsu is still another four weeks away here uh, until we get back training so um going to keep doing some casual sessions in the backyard and yeah hopefully you know make some good progress with jiu-jitsu over the summer and uh long may the weather last it's still warm here i'm, I'm sweating at the moment
1: yeah same it's not it's, it's not warm enough that you take off your hoodie but it's warm mm. enough that you're like yeah i could go for a walk in this and be you know quite toasty and um, but i anyway, look here we're not talking about the weather we're not here to talk about gyms opening up we're not here to talk about any of that fucking shit we're here we were <laughs> We're here to talk about whether or not intentional fat loss is actually harmful, right? Because this is something that if you are in any way forward thinking and you work with people, right? Because obviously, look, we work with people that are looking for fat loss. I would consider myself a fat loss specialist, if you will, right? Like a lot of my clients, they want fat loss. They want fat loss with an asterisk beside that and they're like oh i want fat loss but i also want sporting performance i want fat loss but i also want increased strength i want fat loss but i also want better health blah 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 right but a common theme with a lot of the clients that i work with the vast majority of the clients that i work with would be fat loss that's what they want right and so i would consider myself a fat loss specialist and this poses a question then when you think about this stuff over a long period of time like uh, initially like i don't expect new coaches people you know just getting into the industry or people that are potentially just looking out for fat loss themselves i don't expect them to think about this stuff you know relatively deeply like it's not like it's a hugely deep thinking to to arrive at this position but you do get to this position where you kind of start thinking whether or not like fat loss is healthy Right, like, and what I don't mean, like, you know, we can look at the like physiological stuff, and like, we did an entire series on obesity. So, like, you know, go back and listen to that if you want to look at any of the health outcomes that could potentially come about from having excess fat, right? But in terms of like the the processes that you go about eliciting fat loss right are they actually healthy long-term processes right and especially considering like if you read the research you see that there's so so much failure in the research in terms of like they're they're obviously not in the research in the people that are engaging in fat loss diets that are then being researched you see like whatever it is it's like uh, 30 to 50 percent of people regain the weight that they lost after a fat loss diet and potentially even gaining more Than what they initially, you know, lost, right? And then again, we've talked about this before, but if you read the research, it would suggest that like 70% or potentially higher of diets fail, right? And again, we've talked about that in terms of it's a bit of a misleading number because, like, how do you classify completing a diet? Like I could say I failed a diet because like when I initially got into all of this health and fitness stuff, like I had fat to lose. So I lost that fat, right? And I got down to I think it was about 80 kilos, right? And then over the subsequent, we'll call it five years, I gained 10 kilos of muscle, right? So if we look at it just from the perspective of the numbers, I lost 10 kilos and then I gained 10 kilos, right? And now I would like to think that I lost 10 kilos of fat and I gained 10 kilos of muscle over a period of whatever, five, five-ish 5 or so years. Um, but would that be classified as a failed diet? Because I, I'm back at the exact same weight you know, that I initially started that. So is that a failed diet? Again, that's why you can start to see that saying that 70% of diets fail, is a bit of a misleading number because if we just look at the purely on the weight perspective, I failed that diet, right? But if you look at it purely on the body composition, health, performance, et cetera, all those other metrics, you'd be like, fuck me, you are a different human between these like two different things. Your health is in a much better position. Your body composition is a much better position, etc., etc. right? So anyway, you... Do eventually get to this position where you start to wonder like oh is fat loss bad like is it something that we should be focusing on is it something that you know you're actually causing more harm and we'll touch on like why it could potentially be causing harm later on in the podcast but it is a A thought that comes up i'm sure you've had that thought as well gary where you're like you're you're trying to help people you're trying to get them to engage in healthier habits and fat loss may be something that they need but you start noticing some negatives associated with that potential harmful effects associated with that and that's what we want to touch on today that's what we want to talk about in terms of like is fat loss inherently harmful or is it harmful for some individuals and not others and i want to kind of preface this whole conversation by saying that a lot of this stuff is psychological in nature and the two of us are absolute fucking idiots so with that uh, caveat take whatever we say with a grain of salt like i'd be fairly confident that the two of us know a lot about physiology i'd be fairly confident that like you know uh, i'm like i know a lot of biochemistry you're training to be some sort of doctor um so i presume you you know something about that however neither of us are psychologists so when we're talking about the the mental health side of things like well yeah I've done stuff like I, as I said before on the podcast I've done, I did my dissertation in like depression sex differences in depression and stuff so I know like I've read a lot of the research there this is somewhat tangentially related to what we'll talk about today but I wouldn't consider myself an expert in mental health issues or psychological issues and some of the issues that we, we're going to touch on today are those issues you know and um, And also I want to caveat all of this conversation by saying that humans, like we didn't evolve to see ourselves, right? Like right now, as I'm recording this, I'm looking at my face, right? Like I literally, I can see my face in the screen right back at me. When in human history was that possible? You know, like we didn't evolve to just constantly be able to see ourselves. Like, yeah, you might go across some like, clear water uh, uh, occasionally that you're like oh I can see my reflection in that right but well, like think of how often that is because like you you have to have fairly clear water and fairly reflective water to actually see a you know, reflection of yourself and like think of all of the water that you've come up to it's it doesn't happen that often you know so that's one thing that you have to take into account with all of this that like our brains are not evolved to see ourselves constantly either in a reflection you look in the mirror, in pictures like that's a a big one that fucks a lot of people up they see themselves in a picture and then it's like it you know causes this fucking existential shift in their psyche where it's like you know they saw themselves in a picture at a beach in a i don't know bikini or something and they were like fuck me like no this is i this is not the person that i want to be blah 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 and it's like you would never have thought that if you never saw that picture and like humans were not designed to to look at themselves you know we're designed to look externally to the world and like yeah we're designed to look at other people and like there is a degree of we'll call it social shaming that you know causes you to constrain your habits in terms of like if someone says to you like you know parents are pretty bad for this in terms of being like oh you're looking a bit fat oh you're looking a bit skinny oh you're looking like they they will comment on your appearance which I'm sure we'll touch on in this in this podcast as well they'll comment on your appearance um, and that obviously has a psych psychosis not psychosis um a psyche shifting uh pattern to it you know it's like if your parents are like oh you're getting really fat like that's obviously going to affect you some way um but again just thinking this the whole time it's like we're not evolved to look at ourselves a lot so it's
0: probably not something that we should be doing a lot of so the question you posed to me is is intentional fat loss harmful yeah and uh, my answer would, of course, be no, <laughs> with many, many caveats. OK, so firstly, right, when we talk about uh, the process of, of losing fat and looking at side effects thereof, we have to start by considering the difference between the process and the actual outcome. So fat loss itself and the, like, the loss of body fat is, can be harmful in a different way. To that of uh, the process of caloric restriction or dietary restraint etc so last week we discussed um, relative energy deficiency in sport or the associations between uh, energy restriction low energy availability and various physiological and psychological outcomes so at low body fat percentages, one of the things we mentioned was that you might be at higher risk of low energy availability, particularly if you are um, constantly maintaining calories low enough to maintain that low body fat percentage. So there are, you know, physiological effects of being at very low body fat that can be unhealthful for sure. But when people talk about the harm associated with the process of intentional fat loss, it's very rarely with reference to the loss of fat itself being harmful. Okay. And um, there are cases where that is true, uh, particularly where uh, weight loss is unintentional or the result of an underlying disease process, which we will get to. Uh, but for the most part, For the vast majority of the population, considering that somewhere between 60 and 70% of developed uh, nations are, or people in developed nations are overweight uh, or obese, you know, the, the process itself or the outcome itself of less body fat is rarely going to be harmful. Okay. Now, with that said, when we look at the process itself, the process itself obviously needs to be some sort of process that produces a calorie deficit or an energy deficit. So, there are many different ways to come at that. But basically what people are doing is finding some sort of way that they can get their calories um, that they've taken in below the amount of calories that they're expending. Okay. Now that is an incredibly vague starting point. And if we were to look just at that as our definition, then it will be very easy to see why many different people might fall into the pool of, or the, the group of having incurred harm as a result of that, because Not everyone is going to be approaching fat loss in a smart way. They're not going to be uh, engaging in smart dietary practices. They may not have had adequate screening prior to starting the process. So that then brings us to the question of trying to kind of subcategorize people. Like, how do we know if someone's going to experience harm? What are the harms? What are we looking out for? All these sorts of things. So, firstly, with regards to caloric restriction or the achievement of a calorie deficit, obviously, you guys know at this point, if you've been listening to the podcast, that that could be achieved in many, many different types of uh, of approaches. And we can't just assume that all approaches are the same. So, for example, if we compare someone who is just like adopting some better habits, so maybe they used to eat lots of um, Coca Cola and they stopped drinking that or they swapped it to Coke Zero you know, they just started planning their meals a bit better, learned to cook a bit better. And as a result, they achieved a calorie deficit. All of those things are relatively flexible, open-ended, they're very reasonable changes. That will be very different to someone who say goes on a diet that is very restrictive on carbohydrates and fats and is based mainly around like, let's say, plain bland chicken and green vegetables, which many people do, you know, that's not uncommon. So those types of two different approaches on either end of the spectrum, you can see are very different. Okay. We can say that they're both fat loss approaches. We can call them both a calorie deficit, but the side effects associated with those are going to be completely different and are also going to vary depending on the individual. So for example, if you have someone who let's say is a competitive bodybuilder, they might be able to, you know, sustain that diet of chicken and green vegetables up to a certain point because one, they're embedded within a culture that generally, you know, partakes in those practices. It's kind of normal, um, and also there's a defined endpoint. But what you often see is that the disordered behaviours and kind of psychological comorbidities that emerge from that they are they often it's often delayed. So it's often after. The a bodybuilding competition, or photo shoot, or whatever, that people will begin to experience severe anxiety surrounding food, difficulty uh, with impulse control, binge eating, body dissatisfaction, etc., because they're now after that goal. Whereas, if you had someone else who just just uh, that on fits- that as well, like yeah, some, some of the like whatever you want to call them comorbidities,
1: or psychological com- comorbidities, like they're actually lauded they're actually like you know saying oh this is great great for you you know we're like oh like they're they're body checking all the time they're like oh i have a little bit of fat here to lose or they're constantly looking at themselves constantly doing like oh i need to get rid of fat here and like that's seen as a, a benefit like if you're like very psychologically rigid and very orthorexic in your approach to the diet it's like, you would be seen as like, if you were like, yeah, I would say a, a, a bad bodybuilding coach and you have this orthore- orthorexic client. It's like, Oh, all I eat is clean foods. All I eat is like really quote unquote healthy foods. And I, I stick to my calories to within uh, an absolute gram. Like you see people literally like they, like you see it, we, we've commented on that before, but you see people like they'll literally have like two or three grams, not of the, like they'll have like a, the way like a chicken breast, and it'll be two or three grams off it, you know, and they'll literally cut two or three grams off another chicken breast to add to that, just because it's like, I need to be so, so like anal retentive with hitting these numbers it has to be so exact like everything within my powers to get this as exact as possible like it's going to be done you know so it's like those kind of things they get uh, lauded they get like excuse me put on a pedestal of like this is a good good thing to have in a bodybuilding context you know so i just wanted to interject with that and say that like it's not only just afterwards that issues come up it's like no, during it, issues come up and some of the issues that come up are actually seen as positives in that community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really important point because it actually draws attention to something that is important as part of this discussion. And that And that is where your attention is drawn when you're appraising the success. So for example, with bodybuilding, like you say, some of those outcomes might actually be celebrated, yet that we might view them as being somewhat... You know representatives of psychopathology whereas they're actually you know uh, celebrated within the community let's say <coughs> excuse me <coughs> oh god bless me um and furthermore, along with that, in the bodybuilding community, the level of restriction that you're able to sustain is, again, it's it's almost uh, celebrated because, you know, if you're able to put up with hunger and low energy levels, etc., it's almost something that can be glamorized at certain points in time. However, if we were then to to zoom out, let's say, and look at a second individual in the same context, let's say this time they're a sprinter, okay? And one of the things that's you know interesting about sprinting is that you know there's Very clear outcomes. It's like, right, if you previously ran uh, 11.2 seconds, 100 meters, right, then we can clearly see where your performance is as we assess that 100 meter uh, time over and over. Okay. And so there's an objective component to that. That's very different to the subjective components um, of success appraisal in bodybuilding. So for that individual, if they were to go on the chicken and broccoli diet trying to lean up, what's going to happen is that they're going to experience the drop in training motivation drop in libido, drop in energy levels um, and reduce performance uh, that they will see as being totally discordant to their actual training goal. Because if they're thinking, I want to get faster and now I'm not able to do that, I'm actually performing poorly and I don't like training because of this dietary approach, then immediately that's totally different to the bodybuilder because the bodybuilder like some bodybuilders do, but most bodybuilders don't care about their performance, particularly in a dieting phase. They're more concerned about just continuing to lose fat. And within the gym, they might even, you know, not even care about performance at all because they're just looking in the mirror and saying, oh, look, a new vein kind of thing, you know, that and that that's a legitimate um, and appropriate to some degree response given the context of the sport. Whereas with performance- and also
1: just the performance in the gym, it's not, not that hard you know like i don't yeah. always go like oh I, we're going to fucking war I'm like you're doing eight reps mate like it's literally the easiest of all the rep ranges you know like this eight to tw- eight to 15 is the easiest of all the rep ranges you know like you don't get this huge like neural demand and like heavy heavy weight from like the one to five rep range and you don't get all this like fucking absolutely like muscle blistering fucking pump from having like you know 30 reps to do, you know, you know, get this huge acidosis built up. So it's like you pick the easiest rep range, you know?
0: Yeah. And and as a result of that, like the bodybuilder, they're going to probably continue sustaining that. Whereas with the um, sprinter in this case, they might be three weeks into that approach and be saying, hold on, like, why am I doing this? I'm seeing these, these outcomes that are totally discordant from what I'm aiming at. And yeah, my body looks better, but that's actually not where I'm, what I'm paying attention to. So you can see how the psychological effects of of a single approach can be different for those two individuals. And then as we zoom out again to an example that's more relatable, I guess, let's assume that you're a a student or you're a busy professional, right? You're a a lawyer working in a busy firm or whatever, and you need to be, you know, cognitively on point throughout the day. Again, if you go on this chicken and broccoli approach, what you might notice is that your concentration is affected you, you might be more irritable during the day and it's leading to poor performance outcomes in your job or your studies, which you might actually really care about. And this whole health and fitness thing might be as it very often is for our clients, um, an approach that is intended to make you feel better and more healthy and more vigorous, you know, in an energetic in everyday life. And again, you might look at that two, three weeks into the chicken and broccoli approach and say, hold on, this isn't bringing me where I need to go at all. So again, we can see that like when we're looking at psychological harm or physiological harm, we have to actually ask who first and foremost. So we can't say that there's a specific effects associated with intentional fat loss or a given approach if we're not actually asking who the individual is first and foremost. So I suppose that was a long-winded caveat, but, but very relevant to introducing this discussion.
1: 100%. Right. So let's actually get stuck into it, right? Because we're going to answer that who question in a second, yeah. because there's clearly populations that are like intentional weight loss is harmful for right and then also there's populations where this is not a harmful intervention so making it out as if it is a harmful intervention for everyone and saying stuff like oh diet culture uh, like different you know buzzwords it's like this you you're you're focusing on a singular population and that's not the whole population right now that doesn't mean that we don't have to be careful with our words you know or the approach we use with different people and we have to definitely screen these individuals for the appropriateness of fat loss or you know a weight loss diet but it doesn't mean that everyone is affected the exact same you know and so is intentional fat loss harmful look i would argue no right as you said the the question is actually who is it harmful for right but is a fat loss intervention without harm Right. And I think we've already answered that in terms of last week and the week before when we talked about a lot of the potential physiological negatives that can occur from a uh, you know, a fat loss diet, a calorie deficit, right? Especially if it's taken to the nth degree, it's taken for a long period of time or it's excessive, you know, like your 250 calorie deficit versus your 1000 calorie deficit. One over four weeks, one over forty weeks. Like, there are obviously different interventions there, right? So that's the first thing that we have to be aware of. It's like, like a fat loss intervention or a weight loss intervention. It's not like that's not a one singular thing. It's not like, oh, here I gave you one drug. You know, it's like that's that's not what it is. It's a it's an approach to life, right? Um, or to living your life at the moment, right? So even that, even with that. Better understanding, I'm still going to stand by the fact that like intentional weight loss is not harmful in the right populations. There are populations that it is harmful for. However, there are a few things that we want to look out for that could potentially signify that there is harm being done uh, in this intervention. Like you might screen someone and go, okay, look, you are in an inappropriate place to engage in a weight loss intervention, right? A fat loss diet, if you will, right? But if we start noticing that their mental health is suffering, in the pursuit of weight loss, right, um, then that's something that we should be, like, very much reassessing our intervention then, right? So if we know, like, we screen them, they're like, look, they've had no issues with, you know, diet. I've never had any issues with, you know, my mental health. I've never had any issues, blah, blah, blah. You've screened them appropriately, right? Because that's what you should do if you are coaching someone, you know, speak to them as a human. And um, if you start noticing that there are some mental health issues uh, cropping up, you know, and these are... You know, these really run the gamut of like what could potentially be cropping up. Like you said, it could be anxiety, could be depression, could be, you know, just uh, over focusing on, you know, specific metrics in terms of like oh, the weight on the scale or how clothes fit or, or how other people view you and like the whole, whole host of things, right? You need to be aware of that in yourself if you're dieting, but then also if you are you know dieting other individuals you need to be looking out for those things right now this is a little bit less of an issue if you actually know what you're doing right and um, and you also don't do it alone right now obviously look we are going to be biased in thinking that the way we approach fat loss or intentional weight loss and the way we coach and stuff is the best method for this stuff like obviously look take that take what we say with a grain of salt with that regard because we're obviously biased in that regard Um, but the vast majority of these issues that people have with weight loss diets or fat loss diets or whatever it's because they do fucking stupid things with the diet and that's not like that's not a, a knock on them in terms of saying like oh like you're stupid for doing this it's like no like you've just been given bad information right like the stuff that you're you're doing that you think is going to lead to the outcomes that you want it's just bad approaches, you know, it's like, this, these are just bad, like, these are, these were always going to result in a negative, you just have the negative result from, or the negative that you've got is a result of that. And it's just manifesting it in whatever way that you get that negative result. Again, maybe it's a mental health issue, maybe it's a, you know, whatever it is, right. Um, but regardless of what actually occurred, the approach was the reason that it occurred, right? So that's the first thing. Like if you are actually going to talk about whether or not a, a weight loss or a fat loss intervention is harmful, we have to actually be doing things correctly. You know, like I'm not going to talk about whether or not uh, an approach is harmful if we're not doing it right. Like that's like saying that fishing is harmful because someone fucking, I don't know, caught their eyelid in a fishing hook because they didn't do it right. You know, it doesn't mean that fishing itself is harmful. You know, it's like the, the the, the the act is not harmful if it's done correctly, you know, like people drive cars, people fucking kill themselves in cars all the time. It doesn't mean that driving a car is a dangerous or harmful act, you know, it's that there it, you can do this wrong, you know, and obviously, you know, car crashes you know, oftentimes are not their your own fault, but you know what I mean, right? It's like, it's not the, the act itself. It's not that driving is an issue. It's that this can be done wrong. Right. So are we talking about driving done correctly, you know, or are we talking about driving done incorrectly? Are we talking about the diet done correctly? You know, you're focusing on different things, which we'll touch on later on. Um, or are we talking about what a lot of people do and they just go, oh, it's time to lose some weight. So now I'm going to weigh myself every single hour. And then I'm also going to th- try to eat as minimal of calories as possible, you know, and I'm also going to only eat Foods that are on this like good and bad list, you know, it's like only the good foods, I only eat those, I don't socialize anymore. And like, you engage in all of these objectively bad habits in this pursuit of like, how can I get myself to be as small as possible? How can I eat as little as possible? And what seems to be, how can I isolate myself as much as possible? You know, it's like that's not a good approach, it was never going to lead to good outcomes. Like, yeah, you might get some initial weight loss. And you might be like, oh, the weight loss intervention was a success because you got down to some predetermined weight. It was like, it was still a bad approach. It was always going to fail because that's not a sustainable approach. And like, yeah, okay, you're probably going to have to do things that are a little bit less uh, sustainable at certain times. However, your overall approach should be something that builds to a, a, a bigger health and fitness nutrition paradigm in the long term, rather than just like, oh, I'm going to try eat three seeds and an apple per day uh, to sustain me to get this weight loss you know it's like that's it was always going to be bad so do you have anything to say on that in terms of like a good approach versus a bad approach and the whether or not one or one or the other is harmful
0: yeah so i mean when we look at the good and bad approaches i think that very often, it's easy to take the outlandish examples and, you know, say, like you said, like, I know why you're saying it, but like, right, three seeds in an apple, clearly a bad idea. But then like, what's what's the good? Because I think that's where more confusion lies. Because I suppose like if you've been around the fitness space for a while, you'll have heard of the concept of, of flexible dieting. You know, it's been popular now for a decade or two almost. Um, and when you look at flexible dieting, people often view the process of flexible dieting has been one in which food choices are not limited, but calories and macros have specific targets. And just because you are adopting a flexible dieting approach in which, you know, all foods are accessible does not mean that you're actually exhibiting flexible dietary control, because what you're actually doing there is still potentially being very rigid. Um, and potentially applying a lot of dietary restraint because what people will often do is, let's say they are set their calories to twenty-two hundred per day, and they literally need to aim for twenty-two hundred every single day. They're very rigid with that, regardless of appetite, regardless of internal hunger cues, um, regardless of changes in activity, social events, etc. Then that still involves a lot of dietary restraint, and that can potentially be higher on the, you know, that spectrum of more harmful to less harmful approaches because of that dietary restraint, that will be different to someone who say um, has a calorie target, but let's say it's a range. They have plus or minus 250. Um, they're not too stressed about specific macronutrients. They might try to hit their protein, but they recognize that, you know, if a social event comes up, they've got some flexibility, it's fine, you know, and they don't get stressed about it. They're not worried too much. If weight increases one day or the calories are up one day, they focus more on the weekly average, et cetera, all those types of things that we try to put into practice, that's actually an example of more flexible control because you're allowing for the modification of what you're eating on a day-to-day basis based on um, your energy expenditure, your hunger cues, social events, etc. So that's going to be lower on that harm spectrum then, despite the fact that the approaches on paper might seem very similar because it's still just calorie and macronutrient tracking of so, of some sort, okay? So I suppose that's just something to... To really be aware of when you look at your own diet, because very often it's, it's easy to kind of look at, let's say, fixed meal plans that are very rigid, six meals per day, same you know list of five foods or whatever, and call those rigid. But you can also be very rigid with a calorie tracking uh, approach as well. So um, recognizing what's going on uh, internally is something that is important there, because as you, as you begin to divorce what you're eating, from your hunger cues, you basically, you know, are, are at higher risk potentially of some of those poor psychological outcomes because you've lost the ability to regulate your eating. ...asked for the first... 16 hours of the day and then binge in the evening but once they hit their specific targets they're happy but again that's anyone on the street could tell you that's probably not the best approach and uh, we would we would agree with that so just recognizing there that uh, dietary restraint um is not necessarily just equal to a meal plan and that you could be practicing so-called flexible dieting while still being very rigid uh, with that dietary restraint
1: 100% um and again it, like it, it's always so hard to talk about this topic because then you basically have to do this whole entire discussion of like what is good dieting like how do you do things effectively yeah. and
0: like, so like there's a million caveats
1: yeah literally <laughs> there's so so much to dive into this and it's like you need to actually educate people on good dieting which is what we hopefully are doing with the podcast and all the media that we put out and all the kind of stuff but uh, that's another discussion um But yeah, the next thing that can also be dangerous and it's somewhat related to it is that like weight cycling or this kind of yo-yoing of your weight up and down can be somewhat dangerous. Um, And it's not from a... Well, first of all, it is from a psychological perspective because you constantly feel like you're a failure if you're like, oh, I did this diet, got good results, fell off track with it, got bad results, went back on this other diet, got good results, and you're constantly up and down. Like you kind of feel like a failure. You kind of feel like I've tried everything. Like I always call it the health and fitness merry-go-round, where it's like you just let's just do another spin around, another spin around, and you always end up back in the exact same space, even though you've put in all this energy to push this merry-go-round and around it's just going around and around and around and around and around in circles rather than getting you like across the road where you want to be it's like you you want to be over there but now you're just you're just in this fucking merry-go-round right so that obviously causes issues now there are potential like uh, physiological issues with like this constant up and down of like weight cycling especially if it's done in relatively short succession like you do get some like potential issues with like you know bone mineral density like say you do this like really restrictive diet for a while you know and it's like all right you did that for 12 weeks you lost a load of weight and you know in, in the process of doing that because it wasn't a really well structured diet etc you know you lost some bone mineral density right we've talked about that before right and uh then you go into this you know, huge like oh binge eating calorie surplus and now all of a sudden you've lower bone mineral density and you now weigh an extra 40 pounds that you just gained back in the space of four weeks. It's like, this is a potential risk here. You know, it's like, yeah, okay. Maybe it's a benefit in a way that it like it causes better bone mineralization because you have more calories, et cetera. And, um, and also you've got extra weight to like, you know, load bearing, you put on the joints, you know, put on the the bones and et cetera. But there is obviously a window there where it potentially is harmful, right? And obviously like, you know, if there is this kind of weight cycling approach, like there are other harms associated with that like endocrinologically um and you know a, a whole host of different things but you've got anything to say on that kind of weight cycling is potentially dangerous because obviously look it's psychologically as i said it's a an issue um, and there are some little things physiologically but do you have anything to say on that
0: yeah for sure and i think that one thing to to recognize with weight cycling is that it often comes with um particularly in the in the fitness space. It comes with drastic changes in dietary quality as well. Um, and this is something that's important when considering uh, long-term health risks, because what you'll often see um, is that some people, let's say, leading up to, to summer, for four months around the summer period, they start to adopt the you know approach with their diet where they're doing all of the the good things, you know, eating more fruits and vegetables because it improves satiety. And maybe they're eating a lot more lean meats because it reduces their fat intake and, um, et cetera, et cetera, all the usual stuff. Right. So they try to improve their overall dietary quality. It helps them to stay lean and or lose fat, but then the actual increase in weight over the, the winter period, let's say, um, which would be the second half of that weight cycling, it actually comes as a result of them basically just loosening up and eating kind of whatever, you know, they have pizza a couple of nights a week, you know, they eat out regularly, they stop eating vegetables, because they're not trying to restrict calories, and they don't need the satiety, maybe their protein drops a bit, they allow their overall dietary quality to just drop off completely. Okay. So now you've got a situation where half or less of the year is spent with good food quality, Um, the rest of the year is spent with A fairly, you know, average diet. So as a result, even though their average weight might be maintained over a given number of years, and they might look like a relatively lean individual, they may actually be carrying excess risk of things like, let's say, cardiovascular disease, neurodegenerative disease, because of not actually emphasizing diet quality along the way at all. Okay, so that's one of the things that you do see is that weight cycling can be associated with increased um, risk of certain diseases in the long run but zooming in and asking, okay, why might that be? What other things are happening there other than the change in body fat? And if you're someone who has struggled with weight cycling in the past, I think you'll appreciate that very often it's, it's not a very deliberate, you know, approach where you just slightly change your calories, but your diet is really good quality all the time. That's very rarely the case. um, experience.
1: we're not talking about this, like, you know, cut and bulk approach that like people do like you know slowly cut down slowly bulk up and it's like yeah you're still eating relatively the the same kind of foods oftentimes weight cycling is like you said it's like i dieted down for 12 weeks and then i fucking blew back up in four weeks and then my diet was crap and was whatever you know
0: yeah absolutely because and i mean that's the vast majority of the population like that's the important thing to note is that most people and i never expect it to be like this by the way most people are not going to be Perfectly tracking their calories and keeping their nutrition perfect all the time while measuring how much they're gaining exactly. Most weight gain is non intentional, um, or it might just happen as a byproduct of just enjoying food for a given period of time. Okay. So just recognizing that when you're considering your own approach is really important because what I don't want people to take away is that, oh, weight cycling might be harmful. Therefore, I should not go through these phases of, you know, cutting down and, and then slow gaining because like, that's so controlled. It's not what, what you're actually looking at when you look at the epidemiology of weight cycling.
1: 100%.
0: Right. So I think we have, that's addressed. The next thing then that like,
1: obviously look with intentional fat loss, there are, there are issues around, we'll call it weight stigma, you know, and this is, this is something I'm going to put body image issues as well into yep. this. And um, I'm going to just lump them two together. Although there are like clear differences um but in terms of like weight stigma like this is i don't even mean like you know cultural weight stigma in terms of like you know the way other people view yourself you view you right but it's also how you view yourself right and that's why i wanted to lump like body image issues in with that as well right and like obviously these are we'll call them psycho cultural issues you know it's like your own psychology the larger societal psychology the larger societal culture um, but these, like, this is a, a bigger discussion. Like body image issues are not going to be solved just by going like, Oh, we should never lose fat. Right. Like <laughs> that's, that's the most childish uh, <laughs> thought process going, like thinking that like, well, first of all, it's, a, it's a relatively childish process to think that like, Oh, I have these body image issues and uh, losing fat will solve all those body image issues. You know, it's like, it's not necessarily going to be the case. And we'll talk about that later on. Um, but having the opposite thought process is also you know relatively childish thinking that all body image issues will be solved by just saying that oh we should never lose fat i'm like that literally solves nothing that literally you are like someone's coming to you and they say oh i have these body image issues because i don't like the cellulite on my legs i don't like you know my love handles i don't like the fat on my arms whatever right and um, and then going like all right, we're not going to do any intentional fat loss. You have body image issues. And I just don't, I don't think body image issues are solved with fat loss, right? Like that doesn't help that individual just saying like, just canceling fat loss interventions, you know, it's like (laughs) that doesn't help, right? Now, obviously, and we'll talk about this later on, there is more to it than actually to actually helping someone with body image issues like that, because oftentimes like losing fat is not going to solve those body image issues, right? So, that is, when I, when I think of like, is uh, a weight loss intervention or a fat loss intervention harmful? I do think of body image issues, but I'm not like we need to cancel fat loss and that'll solve body image. You know, it's like that's that's not the way this works, right? And like, will like having like will if, if you lose weight, the way to frame this and to kind of understand this better is like just ask yourself this question: like, will losing weight lead to better confidence and better self image? You know, like for you right now. Right, just think about that. And if you think, yes, it will, why? Like, why do you think it will? Like, what part of that leads you to believe that it will? Because for some individuals, it 100% will. You know, like I've had individuals before that are like, oh, I don't feel confident wearing, you know, clothes, a t shirt, whatever, because my gut sticks out. Right. Like they're literally they've let themselves, you know, they busy work period, kids, family, whatever. Right. They're like, oh, my, my, my gut sticks out in my clothes. I just don't like the way it feels. I don't like the way it looks. I was I was very confident previously when I didn't have this gut. You know, I'm like in that case, I'm like, look, your body image is body image issues are probably going to be relatively fixed by just losing the weight. You know, it's like, this is the, this is the intervention that's going to help you, right? Like we can do other stuff. And we'll talk about that later on in terms of like helping confidence. Um, but like your issues stem from gaining this weight, gaining this belly fat that you don't like, right. It stems from not feeling confident in your clothes as a result. So losing the weight is going to fix that. Right. But you come to me and you say, oh yeah, I've always had body image issues ever since i was a teenager i just didn't like the way my body looked i didn't like this i've been different sizes i've been leaner i've been fatter i've been muscular i've been whatever and like my body image issues were still there i'm like how do you think like changing your body composition right now is going to help with your body confidence with your body image issues it's not right so there's clearly a delineation here there's clearly like differences in terms of who we're talking to which again is something that we need to constantly come back to like who are we talking to who as an individual like what is this intervention going to do for them right and in the larger discussion because i know you want to jump in with some body image stuff gary but the larger discussion as well of like this kind of weight stigma i'm like yeah look Culture should change to a degree in terms of thinking like, you know, there's nothing wrong with people that are fat, like there's literally, there's literally nothing wrong with having body fat, <laughs> you know, so I'm like, if people are being discriminated against because of having body fat, and they think that they need to change that to get better ahead in whatever, you know, endeavor that they're doing, I'm like, yeah, like culture should be like, I don't, I don't think people should be discriminated against just based on their body shape, but they based on their body size, you know, I'm like, that's, I think that's fair enough, you know? And like, this goes across, this is not just in re- relation to fat, you know, it's like, obviously it's in relation to other things as well. Like you could have as a, as a guy, you know, like you could have like relatively narrow shoulders, you know, it's like culturally, we would see that as like less masculine, you know, and be like, oh, whatever. Or like, like obviously I can only sp- speak from a, a guy's perspective, being one uh, and all that, you know? But I'm like, look, say if you are, I don't know, five foot eight as a male, you know, it's like you already get, I say five foot six, you know, won't be, you know, too fucking drastic here. Five foot six as a male, you know, it's like people already see you in a relatively less masculine light. You know, it's like, oh, he's five, six, you know, oh, he's a manlet, you know? And like, that's the, that's the, the thought process. So like people do get discriminated across the board from a huge variety of issues. And like, that's just... It's just kind of not acceptable. Um, but it is the way the world works. And like, it's really funny because you will see people that talk about their own discrimination in terms of weight stigma, in terms of whatever stigma, whatever it is. And then they'll literally shit on other people's issues as well. You know, they'd be like, yeah, you know, oh, like, a classic one is always when you see like the like someone talking about a, a female issue and a guy will chime in and the guy will probably say something fucking stupid. Let's be honest. But then people will jump on him and be like, oh, I found the one with the tiny dick. I'm Like, how is discriminating against people with tiny dicks? going to help your discrimination <laughs> you know it's like this doesn't make sense you know um like it's like why are we discriminating on people's bodies like let's yes, get rid of that from the cultural light guys like let's stop talking about people's bodies they're just not interesting you know um
0: but anyway gary do you have any thoughts there yeah for sure like i mean <laughs> the thing is like you actually you cannot get rid of all discrimination or stigma unless you decide that everything is equal and that there are no differences between categories because if you accept that there are differences and there's some sort of hierarchy then as a result you have to be able to discriminate in some way and like personally I think it is better like and this is a personal view to be leaner stronger and more muscular than to be fatter weaker and less muscular for me as a male that's my perspective on life like (laughs) you can't necessarily tell me that that is wrong. I have plenty of justifications as to why being more muscular and strong is actually a better thing. And therefore I have to be able to discriminate based on that. It doesn't mean like the, the term discriminating the way I'm using it is like to be able to decide between different things and put them in some sort of order. And for me personally, if I am able to, you know, build muscle or be stronger, I view that as better or more virtuous for me personally than the opposite. Now, like, that's my personal perspective. Not everyone is going to agree with that. But I think that ex- expecting to erase all discrimination or stigma is is just unrealistic. You know, that's some sort of utopian vision that just doesn't exist, unless we're going to say that absolutely everything is equal. That's just silly. Okay. Now, with that said, the effect of stigma and discrimination in the most conventional sense of the word um, is often... It often goes against what you would want if you actually did um, discriminate. So what I mean by that is, right, if I choose to say that people getting, people getting leaner and being healthier uh, is a good thing, I prefer that to people being less healthy, then what I want to do is make sure that we have removed any and all barriers to people then becoming healthy. So that would include if someone is, has obesity, and they're in the gym, I want to accommodate them 100 percent make sure they're comfortable in that environment. If anyone is giving them shit, like get that person out of my gym, you know, I've no time for that. Because that's actually in line with the ability to discriminate between healthier being better than being less healthy, that that's a more desirable ideal. And that's similarly when it comes to healthcare that people are not discriminated against in terms of uh, that that doctors are, you know, prejudicial against people with obesity in terms of writing off their symptoms, let's say, as being just secondary to obesity when they might have an underlying health problem. So it's actually the case that um, stigma, reducing stigma is actually in accordance with viewing better health and leaner outcomes and stronger bodies, et cetera. As being a better thing, so I view those as being concordant worldviews, and I think that's necessary. Like I think that if you think everything is is equal and there's no difference between being healthy or not healthy or fat or not fat or whatever, then you know why do we? It's you don't you don't end up with that same outcome. And from my perspective, anyway, do you think that's that's a coherent worldview, or do you think I'm it's bad to view things as being better or worse? Well, I think you're an idiot regardless, but I think,
1: <laughs> I think your uh, worldview is spot on. But again, look, as I've said repeatedly on this podcast, I would be viewed as right wing. So maybe that's just my, my bias coming into this. Like I literally, I'm like, I have a very simplistic worldview in terms of like, men. I'm like, literally there's three things that men need to do. It's protect, provide, and procreate. I'm like, yep. my worldview is always going to be tarnished by that. Um that's not to say that you have to do all three. I'm just saying like there are the three broad categories, you know? Um, but yeah, look, weight stigma, we're not going to solve it. We've talked about it before. We'll probably talk about it again. Um, but realistically in this case, I'm like, I actually think it is something that potentially uh, intentional fat loss could help with. Right. But also it is something that you shouldn't have to change because society is like you know discriminating against you in the commonly used term or commonly used way in terms of it's like you're getting less job opportunities or you know you can't go to the you can't go to fucking work because people are calling you fat or something you know it's like that like in my mind i'm like that's that's not acceptable but uh 100 percent that is potentially a harm of Intentional fat loss, you know, it's like you know, it interacts in a harmful way. Do you have anything to say on body image issues and intentional fat loss potentially helping or hindering yeah. with that?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, this is actually really important, and I, I went in a tangent, never got back to this part of the question, but um, yes, absolutely. So one of the things I've I've been doing more and more often over time is trying to kind of screen for those body image uh, concerns in advance prior to someone engaging in in fat loss, or even in weight gain. Um, and this is something we ha- we always ask about in our initial screening questionnaire. We have a series of questions related to this. But recently, when speaking to clients, I've been putting more emphasis on actually having them discuss it and really flesh it out a bit more. You know, So for example, I had one client sign up this week, and they were actually trying to gain weight long term, but their history um, provided me with information to suggest that this person had been cycling their weight quite a bit over time. They'd never really committed to a proper chronic weight gain period. And this was potentially due to discomfort with gaining a little bit of body fat. So having those discussions, even in a weight gain context can actually give you information that informs your approach going forward. And with regards to intentional weight loss and, and, and body image specifically, um, understanding you know the, the why there is really important. So for example, if someone is, is thinking that, once I get leaner and I improve my body image that's going to improve my overall well-being and solve the problems in my life like I think that's a big ask and that's why I like to ask people you know what else are you aiming at you know what what are you doing with your career at the moment you know how are your relationships how are things with your family you know what what are you aiming at over the next five years etc that they're not getting so caught up in ignoring those things and just focusing all their attention on their body image as some sort of, I don't know, meaning or purpose in the meantime, that's something that that that's really important in there, too. So obviously, if someone is clearly very uh, straight in saying, like you say, all right, I, I just want to get leaner, um, I kind of feel crap about the belly that I've put on, I just want to lose it. That's a very reasonable stance for me. If someone is saying, if, if I'm looking at someone in there already, you know, pretty lean and they've been lean for a number of years and they're telling me you know oh i just want to you know get my waist uh to be you know much smaller i want to lose a few more inches off my waist and i want my my calves to be uh thinner and i want my arms to be slightly bigger and there's all these specific concerns i'd be far more concerned who wants their calves thinner that's disgusting i was trying to be inclusive of people like yourself um but yeah, I apologize to anyone who took offense to that. Um, but but yeah, I I mean yeah, your dieting, intentional weight loss, could potentially improve body image for the very simple reason that you're actually objectively changing your body, you know. Um, but it can also lead to a comparator that can exacerbate body image long term. And what I mean by that is that anyone who has been really lean like has gotten their abs to the point where they've got veins and stuff like you you recognize that from there on you're never going to feel lean again <laughs> like unfortunately once even if you get to the point where you still have visible abs but those veins are gone you know they're not popping as much you now have a new compar- comparison that n- new comparison is you at your leanest and as a result there will be a period of time where you do feel fatter even though compared to the rest of society, you'd be considered to be extremely lean. And right and that's- now
1: literally what I feel. I literally am feeling that exactly that feeling yeah. right now. Like I'm sitting down probably around 10 to 12% body fat, right? Like obviously I've been much leaner, striated nearly, well, nearly striated glutes, you know, proper fucking lean. Right. And, yeah. um, and right now I'm sitting down and there's just a little bit of belly fat, just in the lower abs, you know, it's just pushing into my waistband. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, look, I'm fat uh, I'm fat, but objectively like, I stand up, I have a six pack, you know? So anyone else looks at me and they go, Jesus, like you're in fucking great shape. So like, this is the exact type of person. Like if I was to go to Gary and I was like, Gary, I need to, you know, I want to gain muscle. I want to really like push muscle gain, but like I'm already feeling excessively fat here. Like, you know, I, I, I can't gain a single fucking micron of fat. I just, I absolutely can't, you know? And um, like you need to dig deeper with that, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah and I mean, personally, like at the moment I'm deliberately, gaining weight. And as that process unfolds, body fat comes with it. And I don't like gaining body fat, you know, but I accept it as a trade-off. So it doesn't necessarily improve my body image, but what I do over what I've done over the years is try to, and this is something I really work on with clients is getting them to recognize that the grass is always greener on the other side and to write out a table of the pros associated with being leaner and the pros associated with being less lean or at a heavier body weight. And when I look at that, that column um, for being at a heavier body weight, you know, more strength, uh, less hunger and cravings or more ability to engage in social events um, filling out my T-shirts more, ass looks bigger in jeans, you know, <laughs> all those sorts of things. They're all positive outcomes. So then I might look at the other column and say, Oh yeah, like when I'm leaner, obviously it, it feels a bit better to look in the mirror, you know. Um, I you know might feel like um, more confident in myself, or I might like the fact that my face gets leaner and I can see my jawline, etc. But there's po- positives on both sides, and the key is to know that and to not get so caught up on the ones that are on the other column that you constantly allow yourself to be in a position where, regardless of what weight you are you want to change your body image because that happens especially with guys um when they diet down and they get lean and suddenly their sleeves don't fit their they're not hugging the sleeves anymore their arms like they start to think oh god now i look like i don't even lift you know i thought i was going to be happy once i had my abs but now i have no arms so you're always losing basically and i think if you're aware of that uh, it, it does make things easier
1: 100 percent, right but anyway look body image discussions are a larger discussion overall, but it is a potential issue with intentional fat loss. Yep. But I actually don't think it's an issue with intentional fat loss. I think it's just an issue. Full stop. You yeah, know, it's just full stop. That's regardless it. Regardless of you know what, what our approach is at, the, at that time period, right? But then I also want to touch on right because look, that's some very <clears throat> superficial stuff, right? And um, even though like the podcast has already been like whatever forty minutes or whatever it is right now, um, and the thing that we need to touch on is like who is it harmful for? One hundred percent. Or relatively a high percentage, right? Like it's obviously not harmful for everyone, right? I think we've established that, right? There's clearly issues that can be solved by fat loss, right? Like if you have obesity, I'm like sorry, like fat loss is probably going to solve a lot of the issues that you're presenting with, right? And if you have like risk of heart disease, whatever, there's potential rationale for a fat loss intervention, a weight loss intervention, right? But who is it directly harmful for, right? Because in my understanding, the people that it would be harmful for, and I'm interested to hear your perspective because I already know all my own thoughts, Um, but the people that I would think it's harmful for would be children, right? Like, I'm like, there's potential risk there, especially in developmental periods. And like, we don't want to have like intentional calorie insufficiency. Now, obviously look, if Mm -hmm. the child is obese and they have like metabolic or cardiovascular complications as a result of that, it's like, you know, it's a a trade-off. But as a general rule, like, intentional weight loss in children that aren't overweight, obese. I'm like, it's probably not great. Right. And um, like, as I've said before, like I used to box and I know all the people that boxed with me, like, and they, you know, did weight, like, uh, obviously just weight categories in boxing and they did like, you know, caloric restriction. And they all ended up like smaller than their brothers who didn't do that. You know? So it's like, that's, you, you might be willing to do that with the the trade-off at the time, but then when you're five, five inches shorter than your, your brothers who didn't do that, it's like, that's something to be aware of, right? Um, The elderly as well, you know, there's potential risk, like direct risk with, you know, weight loss interventions in the elderly and people with cancer, you know, or any other disease slash illness, you know, there's potential harm there for intentional fat loss. Um, And obviously, and we've touched on it before, like people that have we'll call them psychological issues um, either directly related to um, like body image, directly related to like nutrition, health, fitness kind of stuff, but also potentially in other avenues, you know, like maybe not depression. Well, it depends on what the etiology of that depression is. But like if we're lowering inflammation through some fat loss, that could potentially help with depression. But as a general rule, like for all these other ones, it's like, you know, if you have a mental health issue, it's probably not the right time to be engaging in fat loss like it can help you know and but for some individuals it just it is a a negative now i have a few clients that have depression and getting fat loss has helped them you know and that's true a variety of vectors in terms of like you know better exercise capacity they enjoy exercise they enjoy being able to socialize they'd be like blah 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 like there's other things going on as well to that right and and then obviously just related to the the illness one as well like i would consider even though it's you know not the actual question we're asking but like unintended weight loss without like clear rationale like i'd be i would see that as a an issue right like even if you're just a quote unquote normal person you're just doing your everyday life and then all of a sudden you're like oh i lost 10 pounds i'd be like right well did you do anything to do that you know and they're like oh no i didn't do anything i'm like well that's that's something we need to look into a bit deeper like is there something metabolically going wrong here is there something hormonally going wrong here has your lifestyle dramatically changed like what's the the reason for this because you might be like right actually i wanted to lose 10 pounds i feel great it's like that's fantastic that's secondary to my concerns here because the concerns i have is like if you don't know what's occurring and what's happening here like what's to stop another 10 pounds being lost or another 20 pounds or 30. You know, it's like we need to actually look into this a little bit deeper to actually see what is going on. So it isn't the case that you basically just waste away to nothing and then find out that you have like, I don't know, hyperthyroidism or you have some sort of fucking cancer or you have something fucking going on underneath the hood, you know. and um, but what are your thoughts there, Gary? Who is intentional weight loss harmful for?
0: Yeah, as you say, the elderly is a big one, um, because effectively. As you begin to age, the risk associated with uh, weakness, uh, low bone mineral density, osteoporosis, sarcopenia, sarcopenia etc., all begin to, to increase. And effectively, what we see is that you know when people are hospitalised, for example, the frequency of which is likely to increase as you move into your older years, uh, they begin to to lose muscle mass, lose body weight, and effectively having more of a reserve there is actually generally going to be to be helpful because you've got less or you've got more to lose and thus more of a reserve. Okay. Um, So that's something that is important as you consider elderly populations that, and additionally, I suppose another important thing there is that when we're considering obesity associated risks, they're effectively cumulative lifelong exposures. So for example, if you're 20 years old and you're obese, then you're dealing with the cardiometabolic risk factors associated with that for the next 60 years or so. Whereas if you're already 75 um, and let's say life expectancy for 75 year olds is 87 years old, then you've got 12 years um, remaining. And as a result, it's not so much cumulative exposures that we're as concerned about at this point uh, but rather uh, the presence of acute illnesses or events um, that could lead to to your death uh, in a shorter period of time so there's actually different concerns there so uh, treating obesity as aggressively uh, in the elderly population might be less of a concern Um, and generally people do lose a bit of weight as they age anyway so um, yeah, that's a that's a big population. And, and I suppose understanding as well that weight loss is actually one of the kind of key red flags uh, that will be looked out for um, in illness presentations is really important. Because, for example, if you signed up with with triage even and you tell me that, you know, you've had back pain, um, but you've also had, you know, unintentional weight loss of 20 pounds in the last three months that you didn't mean to lose. I'd be really concerned there, you know, I'd be worried that that could be something more sinister, and we'd be looking to refer you on. Um, So that's important is that weight loss can sometimes be a signal of underlying illness, uh, particularly if unintentional, and if associated with other um, symptoms along with that. So yeah, just just recognizing that clearly, uh, it's not always a good thing in those cases. Um, Other than that, look, there's many, many different Um, illnesses in which intentional weight loss might not be a great idea uh, for you any disease that involves a loss of muscle mass as it is then intentional weight loss particularly if not um, if not undertaken with resistance training and high protein diet um, is going to potentially be harmful so uh, yeah and I mean obviously when we're looking at intentional weight loss more um, disorders closer to the eating disorder end of the spectrum, like anorexia, nervosa, bulimia, et cetera, they are obviously areas as well where we'd be concerned about intentional weight loss. And even in those who just have a history of those conditions, I'm always more careful Um, with screening uh, for for engaging in any sort of weight loss and even if they're not on all the way on that end of the spectrum if someone tells me that they've got a significant body image history significant history of binge eating etc and never any formal diagnosis again I'm more concerned about intentional weight loss potentially being harmful in that case because they may actually be presenting to a personal trainer to ultimately facilitate something that's unhealthy um And to to kind of guide them along the way and let them know that what they're doing is actually a good idea when in fact they mightn't be disclosing all information about how they're feeling psychological comorbidities etc so they're the big ones that come to mind for me initially anyway
1: 100 yeah and so look for some people intentional weight loss fat loss whatever you want to call it can be harmful right so there's no no way to discount that you know that it is the case however we didn't just say everyone in that category, you know, and that's, that's oftentimes put across by certain populations of people like trying to educate, quote unquote, educate people on on intentional weight loss or fat loss and the negatives or positives associated with that. Um, However, it really depends on the individual, because I know there are individuals out there that don't potentially fall into a category of the elderly, cancer patients, you know, whatever, there's no illness present or whatever, but for them, intentional weight loss is going to be harmful. And what I mean by that is like, there is some sort of underlying or potentially non-underlying, like it's, you know, just present uh, mental health issue that is going to be affected by weight loss or intentional weight loss, right? Like one of the things that I always look out for is like people that get caught up in the scales, You know, like just looking at the scales or any other metric, like even like this kind of idea of like healthism, like chasing um, like numbers on like a blood panel or whatever. You know, it's like if someone is exhibiting thoughts that they're like, oh, all I care about is this the scales number, you know. Uh, or I'm like, oh, I need to be as small as possible on the scales, or I need to chase this blood, blood metric. Like I want my LDL below fucking one. You know, it's like, like, if we have someone that's coming to us and they're literally like very much chasing a number or very much looking at external metrics rather than diving deeper in terms of their, their actual underlying thoughts about this or their underlying rationale about this. And it seems to be very much a, uh, an obsession. I'm like, we have some sort of eating disorder here well, well health disorder here like there's some sort of mental illness here that needs to be addressed like this is not going to be addressed by achieving that number because all that happens then is like we achieve that number like we get them to 60 kilos on the scales right and then if there's any deviation from that the mental illness is still present where like fuck i went up to 60.5 today you know it's like there's it, 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 we're never going to beat that by just looking at let's get you to that number, right? We actually have to do a deeper dive in terms of like actually addressing that issue, right? And obviously, look, sometimes that means that we have to refer out. Like if there's someone that's like, psychologically, they're just, they fucking cannot do it without looking at these numbers. They're like, oh, I have to be obsessed over this. I'm like, you need to go to someone to talk about these obsessive thoughts. You know, like I I can do a, a good job of like walking you through this rationally, but also, for some individuals, they need that extra help, right? So for those individuals that, you know, they do have these obsessive thoughts, or these, uh, they have like, underlying or known issues around, we'll call it the psychology of dieting. I'm like, yeah, 100%. Like, this is a weight loss intervention is probably not going to be beneficial for you, right? So for them, I'm like, look, there's, there's definite issues, but how much of a percentage of the population is that, you know, and again, it comes back to that first thing where we were talking about earlier on, where it's like, when we talk about a weight loss intervention, are you talking about a weight loss intervention that you have done, that you've pieced together from fucking magazines or what your friends told you, or are you talking about a, uh, we'll call it clinically supervised, if you will, or a, um, Evidence based approach to weight loss. You know, are you talking about that? Or are you talking about this fucking shit approach to weight loss that you might have been exposed to beforehand? Right. Because the two of those approaches, they're not going to lead to the same outcome. Right. Like I've had clients that have been obsessed and they've been like, right, fat loss has always caused like, you know, anguish for me or mental health issues for me. And, but I do want to achieve a certain physique. So I'm hoping that we can, you know, I can help them and like, once we do it in a correct manner they're like, yeah, fuck, this is actually easy. I actually got great results. I felt energized throughout. I didn't have any of these obsessive thoughts. I didn't have X, Y, Z. None of those issues came about. And it's like, so there was an issue with the approach. There wasn't an issue with the actual act itself. Right. And that is something that again, you have to be aware of. Right. guy. Okay, I actually think we're going to wrap it up here. Cause there are, there is a few other things that we could talk about, but I think we'll just save it for another episode because yeah. there's a, like, there's probably another hour that we could just talk about stuff here, yeah, right? Too long. So too, too long. Um, but do you have anything final to say in terms of, you know, who it's potentially harmful for? Because like, we could just, I'll just finish up on this one. Like, who is it potentially beneficial for, right? First of all, it's beneficial for people that want to improve their body composition and don't have any underlying health issues in terms of like mental health or physical health, right? But then obviously intentional weight loss is potentially beneficial for The obese or the overweight and people with heart disease now that's not always the case like you know you don't want to have intentional weight loss and certain issues with heart disease and diabetes as we've talked about before and and you know any of the any of the issues that can be solved by reducing the overall adipose tissue on your body they're going to benefit from an intentional fat loss approach, right? However, we always have to caveat this stuff where there's physiological benefits and then there's psychological benefits slash negatives, you know, Um, and for some individuals, they physiologically might benefit from a fat loss approach, but psychologically they're not in a good place to actually go for that. And again, this isn't a case that you just say, oh, well, then we just don't engage in intentional fat loss. Like we can still engage in healthful habits, hundred percent, but I would rather see you actually solve those mental health issues that you have that prevent you from like losing weight. You know, it's like, that's not a way to live. Just brushing that under the the rug and just being like, oh, I can never lose weight now in my life. I can never change my body composition because I have a mental health issue. You know, it's like, that's, that's not, empowering. Like there's, there's no, in no way that that is empowering. That is just leading you to, I have this issue. I'm going to lock it in the closet over there and I'm never going to look at it. You know, I'm never going to engage in habits that make me look at it. I'm like, that's that's not beneficial. That does not lead to you being a stronger individual. Like hundred percent, you can still engage in healthful habits and you can get great results overall, but we still have that fucking skeleton in the closet that, you know, potentially in the future is going to come out. Like you're going to step on a scales. Someone's going to make a comment. Someone's going to like, something else is going to happen that triggers that. And if you've never dealt with it and you've just been keeping it in the locked in the closet for a while, it's going to come out. Right. So that is in my mind, I'm like, that's, that's a aid approach. It's not a, a cohesive long-term approach to dealing with if you do have we'll call them mental health issues if you do have um, an issue with your overall thoughts around your body composition or your approach to health fitness diet training whatever like we want to build a robust human. We don't want to leave you in a situation where you, again, have these issues. They're just locked in a closet. And like, we need to deal with these. Like, that's why, for one thing, I'm like, I'm not a fan of people saying like, oh, we should just throw out the scales. I'm like, why are you fr- afraid of a scales? Like that that should not, it literally tells you your relationship with gravity. It shouldn't impact your relationship with yourself. hundred percent, we might need to do a period of time where we step away from the scales, you're too obsessive over it or it has too much weight in your life. But it's not a great approach to never be able to step on a scales ever again. Like you're actually afraid of that. You know, like if someone was like, I'm afraid of oranges you know i can never have an orange in my house you know it's like you would be looking at that person going like what what the fuck do you mean it's just an orange right it's not like they're allergic to it or anything you know so it's like why are you afraid to just a tool like are you afraid to afraid of forks afraid of knives afraid of like whatever it's like why are you afraid of a tool let's get rid of that fear around that tool because it doesn't actually impact you in as an individual your overall cohesive you know, body and mind. Right. And um, so I'm not a fan of just being like, yeah, let's just throw out the scales. They mean, nothing. It's like, yeah, they are meaningless, but let's actually use them as a tool for what we actually want, which is potentially manipulating body composition, potentially ma- manipulating weight, getting into like a, a healthy range for this individual. Let's not actually be afraid of them. Right. And um, like I, I don't know if you are still there because your
0: screen is black. Yeah. My camera's frozen, but I'll leave you close yourself out Cause I'm going to wet myself.
1: Uh, nice uh, right thank
0: you very much for listening guys hope you enjoyed speaking next week
1: fantastic right so as gary is gone now his camera is supposedly broken and he is currently wetting himself apparently um that's the podcast um you can find us in the usual places. You can find us in all the links below if you're interested in coaching. This is the last week of coaching that we have available. So don't come back to us in like a month's time and be like, oh, I really want to get coaching now because we, as we've been saying for the last while, like coaching is closed for the summer. We have well, relatively in excess of clients. We have a few spaces available. So if people are wanting to jump in, they need to jump in now. And um, like you can put a deposit down, you can whatever, and we can start you later on. But like we're not going to be accepting clients until September, October timeframe, you know. So if you have goals, jump in now. And now I know everyone is probably starting back in the gym. One thing I will say is, you know, just take it a little bit handier this week, you know, dial it back a little bit. Don't be, you know, going excessive with things. Like as I said at the start, like, I busted my spine up the last time and a relatively freak accident, but it's because my body wasn't prepared. And so don't fall into that category again. Like just take it handy. Even if you're like my ego starts igniting and I'm like, yeah, I can go for some heavier weight. Like just keep it relatively handy for the next two to six weeks and just slowly, slowly ease back into this stuff. Like just don't injure yourself. It's just not, it's not beneficial for your long-term progression. And it's also really not fun to be like, Oh yeah, I injured myself. And now after waiting, whatever, a year to get back in the gyms, I'm going to have to wait another couple of months. You know, it's like, it's just, it's not great. Right. So take it handy, take it a little bit slower. Um, and as I said, you can follow find all our stuff, all our social media, et cetera, in the links below. You can follow us there. If you are listening to this on a platform that allows ratings, reviews, that is always beneficial. And if you are not, the other thing that's always beneficial is that you share it on your story tag us in it and we'll reshare it. Um, But that kind of stuff really does help get the the word out, word out even. Um, So if you haven't done that and you would like to support the podcast in some way, that does really help. Anyway, I have nothing else to say. I hope you all enjoy the week ahead.